chapter twenty second of the heart of midlothian by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by dion gines salt lake city utah now but and ben the change house fills with eel cop commentators here's crying out for bakes and gills and there's the pint stoop clatters with thick and thrang and loud and lang with logic and with scripture they raise a din that in the end is like to breed a rupture a wrath that day burns a plentiful entertainment at the duke of argyle's cost regaled the reverend gentleman who had assisted at the ordination of reuben butler and almost all the respectable part of the parish the feast was indeed such as the country itself furnished for plenty of all the requisites for a rough and round dinner were always at duncan of knox's command there was the beef and mutton on the braise the fresh and salt-water fish in the locks the brooks and firth game of every kind from the deer to the leveret were to be had for the killing in the duke's forests moors heaths and mosses and for liquor home-brewed ale flowed as freely as water brandy and usquebaugh both were had in those happy times without duty even white wine and claret were got for nothing since the duke's extensive rights of admiralty gave him a title to all the wine in cask which is drifted ashore on the western coast and isles of scotland when shipping have suffered by severe weather in short as duncan boasted the entertainment did not cost mac Cullimore a plaque out of his sporran and was nevertheless not only liberal but overflowing the duke's health was solemnized in a bona fide bumper and david deans himself added perhaps the first huzza that his lungs had ever uttered to swell the shout with which the pledge was received nay so exalted in heart was he upon this memorable occasion and so much disposed to be indulgent that when he expressed no dissatisfaction when three bagpipers struck up the campbells are coming the health of the reverend minister of noctorlity was received with similar honours and there was a roar of laughter when one of his brethren slyly subjoined the addition of a good wife to our brother to keep the man's in order on this occasion david deans was delivered of his first-born joke and apparently the parturition was accompanied with many throes for sorely did he twist about his physiognomy and much did he stumble in his speech before he could express his idea that the lad being now wedded to his spiritual bride it was hard to threaten him with any temporal spouse in the same day he then laughed a hoarse and brief laugh and was suddenly grave and silent as if abashed at his own vivacious effort after another toast or two 
genie mrs dolly and such of the female natives as had honoured the feast with their presence retired to david's new dwelling at achengower and left the gentlemen to their potations the feast proceeded with great glee the conversation where duncan had it under his direction was not indeed always strictly canonical but david deans escaped any risk of being scandalized by engaging with one of his neighbours in a recapitulation of the sufferings of ayrshire and lanarkshire during what was called the invasion of the highland host the prudent mr micklehose cautioned them from time to time to lower their voices for that duncan knox's father had been at that onslaught and brought back muckle good plenishing and that duncan was no unlikely to have been there himself for what he kenned meanwhile as the mirth grew fast and furious the graver members of the party began to escape as well as they could david deans accomplished his retreat and butler anxiously watched an opportunity to follow him knocked under however desirous he said of knowing what stuff was in the new minister had no intention to part with him so easily but kept him pinned to his side watching him sedulously and with obliging violence filling his glass to the brim as often as he could seize an opportunity of doing so at length as the evening was wearing late a venerable brother chanced to ask mr archibald when they might hope to see the duke tam carum caput as he would venture to term him at the lodge of rosineth duncan of knock whose ideas were somewhat conglomerated and who it may be believed was no great scholar catching up some imperfect sound of the words conceived the speaker was drawing a parallel between the duke and sir donald gorm of sleet and being of opinion that such comparison was odious snorted thrice and prepared himself to be in a passion to the explanation of the venerable divine the captain answered i heard the word gorm myself sir with my own ears do you think i do not know gaelic from latin apparently not sir so the clergyman offended in his turn and taking a pinch of snuff answered with great coolness the copper nose of the gracious duncan now became heated like the bull of phalaris and while mr archibald mediated betwixt the offended parties and the attention of the company was engaged by their dispute butler took an opportunity to effect his retreat he found the females at Auchengower very anxious for the breaking up of the convivial party for it was a part of the arrangement that although david deans was to remain at Auchengower and butler was that night to take possession of the manse yet jeanie for whom complete accommodations were not yet provided in her father's house was to return for a day or two to the lodge at rosineth and the boats had been held in readiness accordingly
they waited therefore for knockdunder's return but twilight came and they still waited in vain at length mr archibald who was a man of decorum had taken care not to exceed in his conviviality made his appearance and advised the females strongly to return to the island under his escort observing that from the humour in which he had left the captain it was a great chance whether he budged out of the public-house that night and it was absolutely certain that he would not be very fit company for ladies the gig was at their disposal he said and there was still pleasant twilight for a party on the water Jeanie, who had considerable confidence in archibald's prudence immediately acquiesced in this proposal but mrs dolly positively objected to the small boat if the big boat could be gotten she agreed to set out otherwise she would sleep on the floor rather than stir a step reasoning with dolly was out of the question and archibald did not think the difficulty so pressing as to require compulsion he observed it was not using the captain very politely to deprive him of his coach and six but as it was in the lady's service he gallantly said he would use so much freedom besides the gig would serve the captain's purpose better as it would come off at any hour of the tide the large boat should therefore be at mrs dolly's service they walked to the beach accordingly accompanied by butler it was some time before the boatmen could be assembled and ere they were well embarked and ready to depart the pale moon was come over the hill and flinging a trembling reflection on the broad and glittering waves but so soft and pleasant was the night that butler in bidding farewell to jeanie had no apprehension for her safety and what is yet more extraordinary mrs dolly felt no alarm for her own the air was soft and came over the cooling wave with something of summer fragrance the beautiful scene of headlands and capes and bays around them with the broad blue chain of mountains were dimly visible in the moonlight while every dash of the oars made the waters glance and sparkle with the brilliant phenomenon called the sea fire this last circumstance filled Janie with wonder and served to amuse the mind of her companion until they approached the little bay which seemed to stretch its dark and wooded arms into the sea as if to welcome them the usual landing-place was at a quarter of a mile's distance from the lodge and although the tide did not admit of the large boat coming quite close to the jetty of loose stones which served as a pier Jeanie, who was both bold and active easily sprung ashore but mrs dolly positively refusing to commit herself to the same risk the complacent mr archibald 
ordered the boat round to a more regular landing-place at a considerable distance along the shore he then prepared to land himself that he might in the meanwhile accompany genie to the lodge but as there was no mistaking the woodland lane which led from thence to the shore and as the moonlight showed her one of the white chimneys rising out of the wood which embosomed the building genie declined this favour with thanks and requested him to proceed with mrs dolly who being in a country where the ways were so strange to her had more need of countenance this indeed was a fortunate circumstance and might even be said to save poor cowslip's life if it was true as she herself used solemnly to aver that she must positively have expired for fear if she had been left alone in the boat with six wild highlanders in kilts the night was so exquisitely beautiful that genie instead of immediately directing her course towards the lodge stood looking after the boat as it again put off from the side and rowed into the little bay the dark figures of her companions growing less and less distinct as they diminished in the distance and the joram or melancholy boat-song of the rowers coming on the ear with softened and sweeter sound until the boat rounded the headland and was lost to her observation still genie remained in the same posture looking out upon the sea it would she was aware be some time ere her companions could reach the lodge as the distance by the more convenient landing-place was considerably greater than from the point where she stood and she was not sorry to have an opportunity to spend the interval by herself the wonderful change which a few weeks had wrought in her situation from shame and grief and almost despair to honour joy and a fair prospect of future happiness passed before her eyes with a sensation which brought the tears into them yet they flowed at the same time from another source as human happiness is never perfect and as well-constructed minds are never more sensible of the distresses of those whom they love than when their own situation forms a contrast with them genie's affectionate regrets turned to the fate of her poor sister the child of so many hopes the fondled nursling of so many years now an exile and what was worse dependent on the will of a man of whose habits she had every reason to entertain the worst opinion and who even in his strongest paroxysms of remorse had appeared too much a stranger to the feelings of real penitence while her thoughts were occupied with these melancholy reflections a shadowy figure seemed to detach itself from the copsewood on her right hand genie started and the stories of apparitions and wraiths seen by solitary travellers in wild situations at such times and in such an hour suddenly came full upon her imagination the figure glided on 
and as it came betwixt her and the moon she was aware that it had the appearance of a woman a soft voice twice repeated genie genie was it indeed could it be the voice of her sister was she still among the living or had the grave given its tenant ere she could state these questions to her own mind effie alive and in the body had clasped her in her arms and was straining her to her bosom and devouring her with kisses i have wandered here she said like a ghost to see you and no wonder you take me for one i thought but to see you gang by or to hear the sound of your voice but to speak to yourself again genie was more than i deserved and more than i durst pray for oh effie how came ye here alone and at this hour and on the wild sea-beach are you sure it's your own living self there was something of effie's former humour in her practically answering the question by a gentle pinch more beseeming the fingers of a fairy than of a ghost and again the sisters embraced and laughed and wept by turns but ye maun gang up with me to the lodge effie said jeanie and tell me all your story i have good folk there that will make ye welcome for my sake no no jeanie replied her sister sorrowfully ye have forgotten what i am a banished outlawed creature scarce escaped the gallows by your being the boldest and the best sister that ever lived i'll go near none of your grand friends even if there was no danger to me there is no danger there shall be no danger said jeanie eagerly oh effie dinna be wilful be guided for once we will be so happy all together i have all the happiness i deserve on this side of the grave now that i have seen you answered effie and whether there were danger to myself or no nobody shall ever say that i come with my cheat the gallows face to shame my sister among her grand friends i have no grand friends said jeanie no friends but what are friends of yours reuben butler and my father oh unhappy lassie dinna be dour and turn your back on your happiness again we wanna see another acquaintance come home to us your own dearest friends it's better sheltering under an old hedge than under a new-planted wood it's in vain speaking jeanie i maun drink as i have brewed i am married and i maun follow my husband for better or worse married effie exclaimed jeanie misfortunate creature and to that awful hush hush said effie clapping one hand on her mouth and pointing to the thicket with the other he is yonder she said this in a tone which showed that her husband had found means to inspire her with awe as well as affection at this moment a man issued from the wood it was young staunton 
even by the imperfect light of the moon genie could observe that he was handsomely dressed and had the air of a person of rank effie he said our time is well-nigh spent the skiff will be aground in the creek and i dare not stay longer i hope your sister will allow me to salute her but genie shrunk back from him with a feeling of internal abhorrence well he said it does not much signify if you keep up the feeling of ill-will at least you do not act upon it and i thank you for your respect to my secret when a word which in your place i would have spoken at once would have cost me my life people say you should keep from the wife of your bosom the secret that concerns your neck my wife and her sister both know mine and i shall not sleep a wink the less sound but are you really married to my sister sir asked genie in great doubt and anxiety for the haughty careless tone in which he spoke seemed to justify her worst apprehensions i really am legally married and by my own name replied staunton more gravely and your father and your friends and my father and my friends must just reconcile themselves to that which is done and cannot be undone replied staunton however it is my intention in order to break off dangerous connections and to let my friends come to their temper to conceal my marriage for the present and stay abroad for some years so that you will not hear of us for some time if ever you hear of us again at all it would be dangerous you must be aware to keep up the correspondence for all would guess that the husband of effie was the what shall i call myself the slayer of porteus hard-hearted light man thought genie to what a character she has entrusted her happiness she has sown the wind and mon reap the whirlwind dinna think ill of him said effie breaking away from her husband and leading genie a step or two out of hearing dinna think very ill of him he's good to me genie as good as i deserve and he is determined to give up his bad courses so after all dinna greet for effie she is better off than she has wrought for but you oh you you can be happy enough never till ye get to heaven where a body is as good as yourself genie if i live and thrive ye shall hear of me if not just forget that sick a creature ever lived to vex ye fare ye well fare fare ye well she tore herself from her sister's arms rejoined her husband they plunged into the copsewood and she saw them no more the whole scene had the effect of a vision and she could almost have believed it such but that very soon after they quitted her she heard the sound of oars and a skiff was seen on the firth pulling swiftly towards the small smuggling sloop which lay in the offing it was on board of such a vessel that effie had embarked at portobello and genie had no doubt 
that the same conveyance was destined as staunton had hinted to transport them to a foreign country although it was impossible to determine whether this interview while it was passing gave more pain or pleasure to genie deans yet the ultimate impression which remained on her mind was decidedly favourable effie was married made according to the common phrase an honest woman that was one main point it seemed also as if her husband were about to abandon the path of gross vice in which he had run so long and so desperately that was another for his final and effectual conversion he did not want understanding and god knew his own hour such were the thoughts with which jeanie endeavoured to console her anxiety respecting her sister's future fortune on her arrival at the lodge she found archibald in some anxiety at her stay and about to walk out in quest of her a headache served as an apology for retiring to rest in order to conceal her visible agitation of mind from her companions by this secession also she escaped a scene of a different sort for as if there were danger in all gigs whether by sea or land that of knockdunder had been run down by another boat an accident owing chiefly to the drunkenness of the captain his crew and passengers knockdunder and two or three guests whom he was bringing along with him to finish the conviviality of the evening at the lodge got a sound dunking but being rescued by the crew of the boat which endangered them there was no ultimate loss excepting that of the captain's laced hat which greatly to the satisfaction of the highland part of the district as well as to the improvement of the conformity of his own personal appearance he replaced by a smart highland bonnet next day many were the vehement threats of vengeance which on the succeeding morning the gracious duncan threw out against the boat which had upset him but as neither she nor the small smuggling vessel to which she belonged was any longer to be seen in the firth he was compelled to sit down with the affront this was the more hard he said as he was assured the mischief was done on purpose those scoundrels having lurked about after they had landed every drop of brandy and every bag of tea they had on board and he understood the coxswain had been on shore making particular inquiries concerning the time when his boat was to cross over and to return and so forth put the next time they meet me on the firth said duncan with great majesty i will teach the moonlight rapscallions and vagabonds to keep their own side of the road and pay tamed to them End of chapter twenty second